Well, welcome again to Kennesaw Family Life Church. We're excited that you've joined us online today, and we look forward to the time that we can worship together in person again. We are in part three of a message series that we called Signs to the Church. And what this is, is in the book of Revelation that Jesus addresses seven churches from Western Turkey or Asia Minor, as we've known, and those seven churches, he gives some signs, some things, some commendations. We're gonna talk about those a little bit today. We're in, Again, we're in week three. And we called it signs to the church because signs do a lot of different things in our lives. Some signs give us direction. They point us towards the bathroom, or they tell us that there's a corner ahead, or whatever that may be. Or if you're on the highway, there'll be all kinds of signs that says, hey, go this direction for this highway, or go that direction. If you're going towards Atlanta and you need to jump on 285, coming from up here, you know that if you're going to get on 285, you need to be in the right couple lanes to go left, and you need to be in the left couple lanes to go right because they cross over. doesn't make sense sometimes, and I see a lot of people get confused there, but signs give us direction, and we need to follow those. Then there are some signs that are instructional, that you come in, and if you were to walk into any business today through this COVID pandemic, you'll see a sign that says, hey, we as a organization are not responsible for COVID that you might pick up in our building. And now it's not exactly worded like that, but there's instructions. Or there may be instructions on when you come in, if you're going to vote, fill out this form, sign here, do this. There's signs. When we went to vote this past week, there were signs on the wall that told us how to fill out the early voter form. Sometimes there's signs that are warnings, danger ahead or toxic. I remember some of you know that every once in a while I'll do some brick standing with a buddy of mine and we were working on Cobb Wellstar Hospital up on the roof and there were all kinds of warning signs by these vents that said biohazard. Talk about making you feel good. You weren't supposed to get within 20 feet of them and they were biohazard signs from the operating rooms and other rooms that had communicable diseases in them. So there's warning signs to stay away from those things. Well, in Revelation, when Jesus talks to the seven churches, he gives some different signs to them. Some of them are, you know, hey, look out for this, or take care of this, or warnings. And so in that, I want to look at kind of four areas that we're talking about in those churches. All of the churches have these four areas in them, but two. Last week, in the Church of Smyrna didn't have uh, a couple of these sections, and we're going to talk about it in a second. The first section is commendation. Always comes in and says, hey, this is what you're doing well. This is what I commend you for. This is what's going on. And then the second one is condemnation. This is something that I see that you need to correct. Now in Smyrna, they didn't have anything they needed to correct. So they didn't have that section, which also leads to a warning. What happens if you don't correct this behavior or this thing? And so Smyrna didn't have that as well, but they did have the reward. And so these four areas are in each one of the letters, or like I said, there's a couple of them that miss a couple of them. But I want to talk about that today. And today we're going to be reading out of Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And we're going to be talking about the church at Pergamum, which is a fun name to say, Pergamum. 
It's the most northern church in the province of Asia at that time, which is what we know as Western Turkey. And so I want to read this, starting at verse 12. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. We know this is from Jesus. That was how he was described, the first and the last, the one with the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some of those whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them the sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will, I will give to each one who a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Wow, a lot in there. We're going to talk about this. Again, I mentioned that Pergamum, was the, it's the northernmost city in this area. It was also the city that was the home of several cults that worshipped different gods, including an altar to the god Zeus, who they believed to be their savior. It was also the center of all em Roman emperor worship in the region of Asia. Remember, Rome was the big, mighty power at that time, and, and many people worshipped the emperor like the emperor was a god to them. So you have this, and, and Jesus describes this city as the city where Satan dwells. So we know that Pergamum wasn't a great place to be a Christian as far as persecution and things like that. And if you've noticed that most of the, the churches, they all have kind of this persecuted this persecution going on in common. It seems to be a common theme for the New Testament church. Last week we talked about suffering a little bit and, and, and expecting to suffer. So suffering and persecution was a big deal. But this is what Jesus said to him in the first point. He said, look, I know you live in a dangerous place, but you have been faithful in the midst of persecution. Faithful in the midst of persecution. That's what Jesus said, well done. Great job, guys. Gives them a high five. You have been faithful when people are being killed, when there is lots of persecution around you. This is actually the city where Satan dwells. There was so much cult worship and worship of the emperor. It was not a safe place to be a Christian. Yet it was the exact place that God needed a church to rescue those that would turn from their evil ways and come to him. And he said, they're faithful. If you look at verse 13, I'll read it again. It says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in the city. 
I want to tell you, Antipas, he died by being roasted to death in a bronze cauldron. That's what tradition tells us. Roasted to death. What a horrible way to die. Yet, even in the midst of his martyrdom, the church grew. The church remained faithful. That's what we learned from the, the underground church in China last week when I read to you that little clip out of Letters to the Church by Francis Chan, that the underground church thrived in the midst of persecution and suffering, that it grew during that time. It didn't get smaller. Because when you're in those moments, in those moments of persecution drive you to your faith, they make it stronger or you run away. So what you have left are people that are sold out because you don't just come to church half-hearted. You don't just worship God half-hearted if your life is on the line. You're either all in or all out. There's no in-between, no gray areas. We don't find that in America so much because for most of us, it's not a life or death experience to follow Jesus. For most of us, persecution looks like maybe somebody laughs at us or we get passed up for a promotion. We don't always face physical harm. Now, we can and have in America. But for the most part, we've seen a very lukewarm culture. So in your own life, as you look at this, remember I said each one of these seven churches could apply either to our church or to us personally. Again, they are signs of what's going on. And this sign is a sign of, you know, hey, look, here's what's going well. Are you somebody that stands firm in the midst of persecution when trials and difficulties come? Are you standing strong in your relationship with God? Then you can take this commendation and apply it to yourself. Well done. Remain faithful, even in difficult situations. I have known people to work in some of the worst environments as a Christian and remain faithful and their witness stand strong. Just because our persecution might not lead us to death doesn't mean that there isn't opposition from the enemy. Stand firm. Be faithful. It's crazy that all of these things would happen, yet the church would remain faithful. And we saw that throughout the book of Acts. We saw that the early church, the apostles, many of them were martyred, thrown in prison, they were beaten. It's all throughout the New Testament. And they remained faithful and oftentimes grew during those periods and those times. When it would seem it would be more difficult to get people to come to Christ, I think it, the attraction was that, look, even in the middle of this, even in the midst of all this chaos, they still hold firm to their faith. I want to have what they have. I want to be that sure of what's going on. That's why when we go through difficult times, we don't wear it on our sleeves and say, woe is me. We endure those difficult times. We ask for prayer in those difficult times. And then when God comes through, we share with people what God has done to get us through that difficult time. It can be an encouragement to others. So the commendation, they're faithful, faithful in the midst of trials. So what was the condemnation? I put down some were stumbling blocks. Some were stumbling blocks, and I'll explain what that means in just a minute. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. 
says, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Balaam was a false prophet in the Old Testament, and Balak was the king of Moab. He was trying to get Balaam, he was going to pay Balaam to curse Israel because he wanted to fight against Israel. He wanted to come and overwhelm Israel. So he tried to get, he tried to pay Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam let it be known that if you, you, you know, I'm not going to curse Israel. God's going to do what God's going to do, but you could trip Israel up. And he told him how to do that by enticing them with women through sexual sin to worship other gods because a lot of what Baal worship is is a sexual type of worship which is just totally messed up on a lot of different levels along with child sacrifice. There's a lot going on there. But they enticed him. He led them down that path. And what this is talking about is when people come into the church. Remember in our 2 Corinthians series, we talked about false prophets. We talked about wolves and sheep clothing. People that would come into the church and they look like they've got everything together, but yet they're teaching false teachings. They're leading people away. That's what was happening there. We don't know who the Nicolaitans are. It's mentioned a couple times, but it was apparent that they were leading people away from God. They were teaching of, hey, you know what? It's all right if you're, you're sleeping around. It's not a really a big deal. It's okay if you do this. Look, we're fine. We're still leaders. It's okay. It wasn't okay. This was the complaint that God had against them. Their sin was causing others to stumble and fall. Their sin was a stumbling block to some and cause them to sin. That's terrible. We see it happen. We see somebody come into a church and it goes unchecked and maybe they're, you know, I I know of a church not too long ago that had a, a young adult ministry, a young singles ministry. And some people came into that singles ministry and turned it into more of a, uh, for a lack of better term, uh, you know, just this dating hour and the practices that they had in there were not godly. They were sleeping around. They were, uh, it looked like you were just going club hopping, except for you were doing it with the church. And it caused all kinds of problems. And that's the kind of things that were happening. It was leading people away. And even in 1 Corinthians, Paul dealt with the one that was committing sexual sin with his stepmother. And nobody in the church was doing anything about it. And Paul had to correct them. This is the type of attitude that was happening. They were stumbling blocks. 1 Corinthians 8, uh, Paul addresses this from another angle. Same, same basic principle. But they were, in that time period, there was a lot of different gods that were worshipped. And in Corinth, not being a Jewish city, but having a Jewish population, there were also these other idols and people would offer sacrifices to them. And I've mentioned this before. And in the temple, you could go in and buy, like it was like a restaurant. You'd go in and eat the meat that was sacrificed to this God. And Paul said, you know what? Nothing is held back from us. And, and you might be 
at a place in your relationship with God where you know that idol isn't real and you're just going in to get some steak. And that's okay for you because you know that idol's not real, you're not worshiping that idol. But for some who are weak in their faith, it might cause them to stumble and fall. I related it to alcohol. Maybe you know somebody that has a trouble with alcoholism and and maybe you know you look at scripture where it talks about alcohol where alcohol itself is not a sin but the abuse of alcohol is and so we generally try to just stay away from it so we don't cause somebody else to stumble but maybe you offering somebody a beer or something that somebody that was an alcoholic and all of a sudden it becomes a stronghold in their life you're responsible for helping them stumble it's a fine line to walk. And this is what Paul said. It's kind of along those lines. In 1 Corinthians 8, 12-13, he said, And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. That's how serious it was for Paul. He said, look, it's my selfishness that I flaunt eating this in front of somebody that's weaker and it causes them to stumble. If it's going to cause them to stumble, I'm just going to back away. It's not worth it. But some of, some of us will, will hold on to those things. They become strongholds in our lives and we cause other people to sin. We cause other people to stumble and fall. We never want to be a stumbling block. Paul was so serious about it. He said, I won't ever eat meat again if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. I won't ever take a drink again if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. You know, as a minister, I've made a commitment to the Assemblies of God that says, look, I'm not going to partake alcohol. Not because alcohol itself is a sin, but because we want to hold ourselves to a higher standard because we don't want to see somebody else stumble. You're like, well, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. Well, check your heart a little bit. If something is so important to hold on to, even if it causes somebody else to stumble, maybe it's an issue in your life. Nothing in this life should be so important that we hold on to it to the detriment of ourselves or anybody else around us. Whether good or not. We never want to be somebody that causes somebody else to sin. Look, Jesus talks about this too in Luke chapter 17, 1 and 2. He says this, One day Jesus said to the disciples, There will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck, basically to be drowned to death, than to cause somebody else to sin. Jesus' words. So I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. I'm saying that to wake us up, to make us realize, because this was the sin that Jesus was talking about, our lives being stumbling blocks to people around us. We want to live above reproach. 
That's what it means to live a life of holiness, to be right before God, to be holy before God. It's honoring God with our lives, and part of honoring God with our lives is leading other people towards Him. And so, yeah, there are movies that I will not watch. There are things that I will not do because I don't want to cause somebody else to stumble. It may not cause me to sin, but it might cause somebody else. And it's completely worth it to me. Completely worth it to me to abstain from those things for the sake of my brother or sister, for the sake of my children, sometimes to the frustration of my children. But we're setting that example. Because this life isn't all there is. What am I holding on to? It's putting things in the right perspective. And false teachers and false apostles had come into the church and were leading people away. They were leading people into sexual sin. They were leading people into worshiping of idols. They were leading people away from Christ. We have to be careful. It looks a little different in our churches today. But some of us have worshipped football. Some of us have worshipped alcohol. Some of us have worshipped movies and movie stars. Some of us have worshipped just sports in general. Or music. Even worship music. We've worshipped more the singers and the music than we did God. And I've heard people say, well, I didn't like the worship of that church. I'm not going back. You know what? If God's called you to a church, I don't care if it's somebody on a banjo up there singing with a real southern twang. If that's where God's called you, you can worship. You can worship in any circumstance or any situation. You may love that. I think it's great when you get a washboard bass and some crazy things. It's not what I'm going to listen to every day, but I think it's great. You can go in any situation and worship. But when the music itself gets in the way of you worshiping God, then it's become an idol in your life. We need to check those things because in any situation, if we walk amongst believers, we ought to be able to worship God with them. As long as they're not doing things that are pulling me away from God. Well, that's enough about that. This leads to the warning. So what happens if we cause somebody to stumble? What happens if we don't correct this behavior? Jesus will war against you. Wow. What a statement. It says, Jesus will war against you. If you look at verse 16, it says, Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against you, or fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, I gave the description in Revelation 1 of Jesus standing there and that revelation of him standing there. And he had a sword, a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And we know that from John that, that the sword is the word of God. And I don't know exactly how that war, but he would war against us with the very word of God. And we cannot refute it. I mean, we've just read words that says, hey, you caused somebody to stumble. It'd be better for you just to be drowned. Jesus would come against you. If you don't repent, come against me if I don't repent. 
So if you have been a stumbling block to the people around you by the way that you've led your life or by the way you've caused other people to stumble, then it's time to repent and turn from those things. If we don't turn from those things, Jesus is going to come against us. That's serious. I definitely don't want Jesus as my enemy. I definitely don't want Jesus coming against me, especially in the day and hour that we live in. If God is warring against you, the only end will be destruction without repentance. Destruction without repentance. We've, you know, the first week we talked about the church in Ephesus said that they were going to remove the lampstand. They were no longer going to be a church if they didn't repent. This one says basically, we're going to be destroyed if we don't repent and turn back to Him. This is a warning sign. It's a big warning sign. This is be very careful that you don't cause somebody else around you to stumble. Now you can read through Paul's writings in Romans chapter 14 or 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where it talks about these things and it talks about that if you're doing something that might cause somebody else to stumble, it's between you and God, but don't do it in a place or in a way that's going to cause them to stumble. Now some things are just blatant sins. But there are some things that we have the freedom of God. But I'm going to tell you, I would always err on the side of caution and not on the side of my freedom. And, and I've related it this way for a very long time. If I were to put a bullseye down, I know you guys get sick of hearing me say this, I'm going to do it again. Jesus was that bullseye. Some people try to hover around the edge and say, well, how what can I get away with and still be a Christian? Which I think is just leading us to a path of destruction. Our heart always needs to be moving towards God. And sometimes that's stripping away even good things, things that we like, to get closer to Him. Now, please don't misunderstand me and say that, oh, well, God just wants me to live like a monk with nothing or anything. That's not it at all. We just want to make sure that we live in such a way that it doesn't cost somebody else to stumble, to fall. And you know, the way that we understand this and the way that God helps us with this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives us a check in our spirit. I had lunch with somebody this past week. And they were talking about um, riding motorcycles, which is something I do. And they said they used to belong to a, uh, a motorcycle uh, club. And the motorcycle club organized, but they kind of had a shift because they wanted to be like this other motorcycle club. And they started doing all their meetings in bars. And this person was a Christian. And for him, drinking was definitely a sin. This was back a few years where, man, it was, it was kind of a hard line in most churches. Man, you just don't drink. And the reason it ended up that way in churches is because... They didn't want to be stumbling blocks for people. So we made it into a sin when by itself, in and of itself, it wasn't. But the drunkenness was. But the church trying to avoid that just said, hey, just don't drink at all. And he had a check in his spirit from the Holy Spirit that he didn't need to be a part of that club anymore. That it was hurting his witness and it was hurting his relationship with God. So you know what he did? He stopped going. He stepped away. 
Did he want to? No, he enjoyed the company, he enjoyed the people that he was with, but he had a check in his spirit. That's what we have to do. Does he regret it now, years later? No, not a bit. He knew that God was speaking to him. See, if we're walking in a right relationship with God, if we're digging down deep, there are going to be times when we go to do something that we do all the time that God will say, well, wait a minute. You need to stop right there for a minute. For Balaam, if you ever read the story of Balaam, Balaam was on his way to go curse Israel and he was on his donkey and his donkey stopped in the road because there was an angel of God there that Balaam could not see. The story of Balaam's donkey. And Balaam's cursing his donkey. He's kicking his donkey. Like, why aren't you going? And the donkey's like, look. And then God gives words to the donkey. And the donkey said, look, if I ever steered you wrong before, why are you hitting me? And I'm paraphrasing, but then he saw the angel of God. He understood. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gets in the way and says, wait, stop. But God's always a gentleman. He'll let us continue to go if we want to go. But we need to learn to listen to that voice, to that check in our spirit. We need to repent and turn away from the thing that God says, hey, you're causing people to sin. And if you've caused people in the church to sin, then you need to go to that person and say, look, I am sorry. This was something that I should not have been doing. Please forgive me. And God will honor you that for that. God will give you honor for stepping up and turning away. And actually, this is what it says will lead to the last point, the reward. They'll be given manna from heaven and a new name. Manna from heaven and a new name. If you look at verse 17, it's the longest verse. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, everyone, everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that was hidden away in heaven. If you're familiar with uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, God fed them in the wilderness with manna, these little cakes from heaven. It would fall from, from the sky every day, but one day a week on the Sabbath, it didn't fall. They were to gather enough on the sixth day to cover the seventh. And God fed them with food from heaven. What that means is eternal life, that He's going to eternally feed us. Though we give Him manna from heaven that was hidden away, and I'll give each one a white stone. What I was told about this, I know I didn't put it in the, the, the title for point four or in the point, but a white stone is like a pardon. Like when they would do judgment in the court, white stones, if you put a white stone out, that meant that they were vindicated. And that's how they voted. They would each have white stones. And if they put the white stone out, that means that they were, that they, they thought they were innocent. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one will understand but the one who receives it. To be given a new name by Christ, a true name that describes our character and who we are. You know, sometimes we carry names like labels that cause us to think differently about ourselves. Christ is going to give us the name that truly reveals who we are. Our reward is eternity with Him with a new name and a new life for all eternity. You know, we learned last week that we were going to be given the crown of life 
that we are going to reign with Christ. These are the things, these are the rewards that if we will just repent of the sin that's in our lives for this week, it's causing other people to stumble. If we will repent and turn to Him, our reward will be eternal life with Him. And there's a lot that goes in A new name. Not one that says coward or bully or... You can throw whatever labels you want out there. But a, la- a name that describes exactly who we are, how God sees us as His child. Naming is so important. I cringe at some of the names I hear. But naming is so important. And who could better name us than the one that created us? So I want to challenge you today. Man, listen to that Holy Spirit. That's why we pray every day that God would fill us with His Holy Spirit. That's why we dig deep in the Word. That's why we dig deep in prayer. Because if we're so connected with God, we don't have to worry about these things because the Holy Spirit will stop us before we become a stumbling block. If we listen to Him. But if we have caused others to stumble, then it's time to bow before Him and say, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Help me to change direction so that I draw people to you, not cause people to fall away. And if you've been away from Christ, now is the time to say, Jesus, just take my sins and allow me to come into your presence. I want a new name. I want everlasting life. As we close out today and as Pastor Jennifer plays, take a minute to pray. Man, it's always a good opportunity to pray. You know, we're going to end this in a few minutes, but the chat's going to stay open. You can click on prayer if you need somebody to pray with you, and we're happy to pray with you. It opens up a private chat, like we said, and it gives you an opportunity to pray with somebody. If God has changed your life through these messages, let us know. If you need prayer over a sin that you're struggling with, let us know. God understands the struggle with sin. When you're working to draw closer to Him, even though He knows we're going to stumble and we're going to fall, He recognizes that. It's not about being perfect all the time. But when the Holy Spirit gives us a check about sin, we need to be working to change it. We need to be turning towards Him. So just allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate your heart right now. Take a minute and just ask Him. Ask Him to evaluate your heart.
Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we're sorry if we've caused anyone to stumble and fall. Well, we never want our actions to cause people to go away from you, especially within the church. We understand that you're a stumbling block to those who refuse to believe. But Lord, but those that are one, wanting to follow you, Lord, we don't want to cause any of them to stumble and lose sight of who they are in you. Lord, forgive us for sins in our lives. Help us to turn away and to turn towards you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today so that we can hear your voice, so that we can know you, so that we can hear when you tell us to stop or to slow down or to go forward. Lord, we long to have a new name. We long to be in your presence and to eat your manna. Lord, fill us today with your presence, your peace, and your power. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Again, if you need more time in prayer, please continue to pray right where you're at. God can change you right where you're at. You know what? God changed my life, not when I was at the altar. I gave my heart to God at the altar a lot of times, but truly changed my life in the front seat of a car with a friend. Anywhere can change your life. Make sure you just let us know that you were with us. We love you and hope to see you at some of our events throughout this week. Have a great day.